Welcome to Get to the Future on Time. Do differently tomorrow with Jay Allen. Today, we're going to challenge you to think differently and do things differently. To search for what is seen as impossible to do in your field or industry, but if done, would be transformative. To understand that the burden of regret is greater than the risk of leading. Now, here is your host, Jay Allen. Hello. I'm Jay Allen, your host of Get to the Future on Time and Do Differently Tomorrow. Today's discussion will focus on transform something and ignite fun at work. Yes, it's possible. A Thomas Edison quote really frames up our discussion today. There is a better way to do it. Find it. And for this show, we have a unique thing going on. The tables are, tables are turned. Dan Wallace is leading our discussion today by interviewing me. Dan is a strategy advisor for small and medium-sized organizations, and as he helps these individuals and teams learn and create and grow, he's worked with over 100 executives and leadership teams. And he's also a marketing professor at the University of Wisconsin-La Crosse, and significantly, Dan co-authored The Physics of Brand, published by Simon & Schuster in the U.S., China, and Taiwan. And Dan was just uh, relating to me before the show how one of his classes had brought something to him that he or the brand people may or may not thought of. And so I congratulated him for having uh, created such an interactive, exploratory atmosphere among some very bright and uh, sometimes aggressive students. So uh, that's really wonderful. Congratulations, Dan. Thank you, Jay. But Dan, we'll discuss how transformation can be a fresh source of energy, and he experienced it recently, and how fun at work is possible, and he's got lots of experience with that. We will challenge you to step out of your comfort zone to transform something. I will also examine why the business of regret is greater than the risk of leading. We've discussed this in a few previous shows, and it definitely merits further discussion. And Dan, I looked out this morning. Uh, have you walked along the beautiful Mississippi River in La Crosse lately? I'm saving that for after the show, Jay. Um, but it's certainly in this pandemic time. It's my favorite part of the day. I take an hour and a half walk when the oh, weather. Good for you. Get the blood moving. Yes. Okay, Dan. I'll turn things over to you. Let's get going. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jay. It's good to uh, good to chat with you again. You know, let's just start out with kind of a fundamental question. You know, you've created this show on uh, Voice of America, World Talk Radio. Um, Why did you do this, and how did this uh, concept come into your mind? A lot of that comes from actually change. It's not just the change we're experiencing today, but it's the change we've experienced in the past, We've all lived through it. It doesn't go away. And we're going to have change in the future. And sometimes we get all boiled up with, oh, my gosh, woe is us. There's change about. Well, we've got some choices in that. You know, we can just quit, which, of course, is not going to get anything done. We can also protect the status quo, which is, to most people, very frustrating. And especially if you're in a leadership position, if you decide to protect the status quo, 
everyone around you, your peers and your uh, your employees, even your customers and your suppliers will be frustrated if you do that. And then you can decide, well, okay, we've got to deal with change. Well, that's kind of the ad coming from a perspective that change is imposed upon us. And therefore, we have to deal with it. And that's burdensome. That doesn't get anybody up in the morning and want to run to work. It's burdensome. Or we can say, we're going to look at what's going on in our markets and with our customers, and we're going to actually get ahead of the change a little bit. We're going to listen better and look and find out what's going on and find out what the value could be to our customers. So we're going to transform some things. We're going to surprise some markets. We're going to surprise some customers. And so conventional wisdom is that that doesn't take place very often. And sometimes that's research-based because if, for instance, there's a big research project and it wants to go out and, and people want to go out and find out what's the word on transformation and to find out and so they search for transformation examples, but if really robust transformation examples only make up maybe 3%, then the researchers don't run into it very often. Therefore, conventional wisdom says 97% of the time, transformation is really tough. It's not possible. possible, And it doesn't have all those things that engage people in work. And so... The idea is if you haven't seen transformation or experienced transformation, it's really hard to think it's possible. So the purpose of this show is to talk through those things and give people examples from our guests and from me and from you as to know it might be a small percent, but it's possible. That's the show. That's a great, uh, great foundation there, Jay. Um, challenging work at the same time. I mean, it, uh, you know, there's plenty of evidence out there. There's a book I read called The Ordeal of Change by Eric Hoffer that basically makes the case that people don't like change. People resist it. And transformation is this major change. And so um, how do you connect transformation with having fun at work? Um, and, and how does that, how does having fun at work help, uh, you know, move people into a transformation experience? You're right. It actually works both ways. And once people kind of get a whiff of transformation and what it does, then they're willing to continue with it and they're willing to do it again. And they're willing to bring others along with them. And I like to say that Transformation is really multifaceted. So if you've got a market situation, whether you're a profit, nonprofit, public, government, whatever, you've got a situation with your constituents or customers that you say, well, this is really an opportunity. And as a matter of fact, it's such an opportunity and it's got a lot of change with it and it looks very difficult, but if we don't do it, the downside's pretty bad. And so when you get going on transformation and you set out a goal to transform one particular thing, you end up transforming lots of things. 
And one of my favorite examples is a past client, Dispatch Industries. They're, they are world, uh, worldwide involved in solar and carbon fiber. And at one point, they were trying to decide how they could retain manufacturing of this enormous carbon fiber production unit that's almost as large as the bed of an 18-wheeler and how they could keep that in the U.S. because it was obviously going to be cheaper to do it overseas. And so they really dedicated them to, we've got to figure out how we can transform. And we, in, we put into that what is inappropriately, we call the double half-life. I know that means something else. But the idea was we challenged one of their three teams to look at that unit and figure out how could you pro- design that unit to be half the size with twice the productivity, with twice, twice the throughput speed, and at half the cost, and a multiple of ease of shipping? Well, in 45 days, they figured it out. And they, it changed the way they dealt with uh, the product itself, but it also the multifaceted aspect of transformation, it changed their entire design process for new products because they figured out a way they were under the gun. And that changed their production process. It changed their way of working with suppliers. And it turned business as usual and an overwhelming challenge into excitement and fun of work. That's a good story, Jay, that, you know, listening to that, a couple of things that you did there, um, I think were significant. One is you helped the client identify the right problem, and then you turn that into some powerful questions um, to focus on. Um, could you speak a little bit about, you know, how that has uh, come to be in your work? Um, you know, how, how do you get people to focus on the right problem, and how do you get people to focus on the right questions? It's, uh, it's so simplistic that sometimes it's hard to believe. And that is, get people to notice intentionally on what's going on in their customer constituent base. And, and where those customers and constituent spaces are in certain marketplaces and they have certain competitive aspects. And what's going on with those that actually supply to that? And then the real kicker is looking at the customer's customers. Mm-hmm. And today, in, especially in business to business, you can go to customers, customers, customers. And when you bring that insight, the, obvi- the opportunities for transformation become so obvious that it, it moves from challenge to interest to excitement. Uh, it just seems to automatically happen. We've been through it. As you know, Dan, I've worked with over 120 clients in 20 industries in 13 countries and been fortunate to work with over 2,200 senior execs in their direct reports. It's a body of, of evidence that says, what I just mentioned is universally true, regardless of language, industry, or whatever. 
that's that's great, Jay. You know, um, you know, in, in looking at that, so often organizations get caught up in their internal drama, and they see that as the problem. And um, why why do you think that happens? And how can leaders of organizations um, help focus on the customer and what's going on outside of the walls of the place they work? Well, you might remember Tom Peters and his management by wandering around. Right. Which, which people continue to modify as management by walking around because wandering around seems so unprofessional. Mm-hmm. But if you are the recipient of a walker, then it's sort of like that walker is asking questions that you're forced to answer. And if you're a wanderer, then it's more of a casual conversation. And those kinds of things, if you can encourage that in your organization, and if leadership can set the example, then that answers your question. And there's another aspect of it, though, and that is there are some organizations that put maybe political considerations and defensiveness ahead of reality. And so when I hear about some of those situations and or specifics and someone contacts me and says, well, Jay, how, how do you suggest I handle that? I can't seem to break through the walls. And I, I tell them it's not quite as slow as a dripping faucet but it's the same way to go about it is when you're in meetings there people are jockeying for position and defending their position in their departments and and defending the past just start asking the questions well how's how does this relate to our customers or what do you think customers are thinking about this topic or what are others doing in the marketplace about this situation or do we know how our competitors are reacting or have any of us talked to our suppliers lately to find out what's going on in the marketplace from their viewpoint and so the dripping faucet part is it will be considered by those people that are most adept at political defensiveness as being off topic. And so you might get teased or you might, you might get, if you continue to do that sort of meeting after meeting for a few months, people say, well, you know, that Dan Wallace, he's, he keeps talking about the customer all the time and pretty soon it'll start to click in. And I've, I've done it myself and people start coming Oh, we know Dan's going to ask about the customer, and and I'm now kind of ashamed not to have the answer. So now we'll start talking about the customer, and what happens? This stuff starts to dissolve and slowly go away. That's such a brilliant strategy, Jay. Um, that, that, thanks for thanks for sharing that. I know we got a break coming up here soon, but before we do that, you know, let me just ask you about this show. So the title is "Getting to the Future on Time." do differently tomorrow. Uh, what does that mean to you, that title? It goes back to a comment I made just a few minutes ago. 
it's about it's about noticing and we have these choices that we can make uh, in our lives and in our customers with our customers are we going to continue to react to what's going on or are we actually going to start making our own future and our own brand our, our company's brand. Are we going to start making our own future based on what's going on? And to me, that's how you get to the future on time because you're partly, during that process, you're partly finding out things that are going on in the marketplace and with your customers, and you're partly intentionally making the decision that we aren't always going to be the recipients. We're going to take some action to test things, try things, do something differently. And in, I, I'm all for testing and piloting and metrics and everything else. But sometimes in an organization, you have to do something differently to get people's attention, almost just for the fun of it. Uh, in other words, get a, few, get a few trusted customers, get a few trusted suppliers and say, Look, the only way we seem to be able to get a handle on this is to do a couple of quick pilots. And we don't know if they're going to work. And we're going to monitor them. But, but the only way a pilot can fail is to fail to learn from it. So have some fun with it. Don't bet the farm. Have some fun. Uh, great, great advice, Jay. Um, some really interesting perspectives there. And uh, We'll, we'll dive deeper into them um, after the break. Um, and, uh, you know, it, uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see where this conversation goes because there are some uh, fairly big challenges in uh, making this happen. And when we return, I think it will be good to, uh, to talk about uh, how to overcome some of those challenges. And I know a lot of uh, that wisdom is in your book, uh, bucket heads and uh, you know we'll, we'll take a little bit of look at that uh, at the break as well so thanks yeah, again Dan, Jay, for sharing what you've shared so far you're welcome and we're going to take a short break and when we come back from the break we'll continue our discussion around the lines that Dan had mentioned and remember you can follow me on LinkedIn Facebook and links are showed located on our show page or email us at info at mastersalliance.com Are you struggling to gain a competitive edge in your market? Are you looking for innovative ways to engage customers, improve responsiveness, and inspire your team to grow your business? Masters Alliance Strategic Management Consulting Firm brings over 30 years of experience partnering with a wide variety of industries in 13 countries to achieve breakthrough business results. Jay Allen and his team of professionals can help your organization consider new strategies and creative solutions to produce a lasting impact. Masters Alliance delivers the knowledge and experience to help your team take action now. Masters Alliance will work with you to engage employees, customers, and suppliers to accelerate how you do things to gain growth and competitive advantage. Our team brings fresh perspectives and a track record of excellence to help you accomplish your business goals. If you're ready to set your business apart and make a difference in your markets, Masters Alliance is ready to help. Visit mastersalliance.com to learn more. 
Are you ready to break the mold and discover your business edge? Are you ready to get to the future on time? Then take the bucket off your head and transform something. Opportunities are everywhere. Drawing on key principles from his award-winning Bucketheads book, Jay Allen and his team at Masters Alliance Consultancy, LLC, will support you as you take your organization out of its comfort zone, energize, and embolden your team to champion new thinking. Identify obstacles to growth and look at markets, customers, and competition from a fresh perspective. Discover your organization's outlook on the future and potential to shape that future. Does your team appreciate the excitement of achievement? Do they understand that today may already be obsolete and tomorrow's opportunities are easy to miss? It's time to take action. Get in the new game and make a difference in the marketplace. Commit to success today. Get in touch with Jay Allen at mastersalliance.com. Get your copy of Bucketheads today. Available at Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com. See more at bucketheadsbook.com. tuned into get to the future on time do differently tomorrow hosted by jay allen to reach out to the show with questions or comments please send an email to info at mastersalliance.com that's info at mastersalliance.com now back to get to the future on time do differently tomorrow welcome back i'm jay allen your host and we are fortunate enough to have dan wallace as a guest interviewer with us today and the tables are turned. For, so for this show, Dan has been interviewing me and leading our discussion while we are focusing on transform something, ignite fun at work. Dan? Well, thank you, Jay. Um, you know, I think we had some good conversation around this earlier. Um, it would help to have another example of an organization that has had a successful transformation, an organization you've worked with, um, and and they've had fun doing it. Um, could you could you give another example and story about how this can happen? Sure. Uh, one that comes to mind is uh, an Allied Signal Group in the aerospace business, and uh, their main operation was three million square feet under one roof of production. So if you kind of imagine that, a typical 50-story skyscraper might have a million feet. So you lay three of those on their side, that's three million square feet under one roof. Uh, they had over uh, uh, 112,000 individual uh, parts that went into their airspace operation. It was not like part Part A, B, and C of main part. It was 112,000 individual parts. And they had worked for over 20 years to get their on-time delivery above 92%. And by having their on-time delivery at 92%, they were actually the leader in this aerospace field. But because the quality requirements in the aerospace are so high, think of the operating room, the ER, uh, or the OR in a hospital, uh, things like that. Uh, it has to be as perfect as it can be. So that was a constraint. And other things were happening in their industry, and they were needing to diversify. And they were concerned about, well, we can't deal with 92%, even though we're award-winning. 
So we worked with the executive team and then the next level and next levels. And then we had employee groups come in and discussed to identify what were the obstacles. And the senior management actually created a, a four o'clock war room situation where every Tuesday at four o'clock, the senior managers would have come to this one big conference room and anybody in the entire organization, first level employee, anyone that had a constraint or a barrier to an improvement could come to that conference room and they'd serve pizza and they promised a response in 24 hours. And they divided that up among the execs. And the first day, it was down the hall, around the corner, spreading out way into that 3 million square feet because people had that much pent up desire to, for improvement and so much knowledge of how to do it. And there were so many barriers. And after about six weeks, the line was small. And there's a main reason the line was small is that, oh, and they set up a sort of a 1-800 number internally. So people could call in anonymously. And then the execs turn, took turns and the, the promise was they'd get back to somebody also within 24 hours. It wasn't always resolution. But what, what the naysayers and the obstructionists in the organization soon learned when any barrier was going to get executive attention, they decided maybe they better deal with the barrier first. So the barrier started dropping. And six months later, they were 99.6% on time delivery, which was sustained for years and years. And it's pretty easy to do when, when you increase scrap or, or reduce quality or increase rework. But in fact, in that organization, quality exceptions went down, scrap went down, rework went down, and customer recognition of quality went up. So they did it from the inside out. And as part of that process, it was so significant with six international unions that the head of the coordinator of these six international unions came to me one day, and this sounds like me, I'm not trying to brag about it, it's just an example of the situation, and said, Jay, could you come work for us as the union side? And I said, I can't do that. But the, uh, this was led by Jack Knuth, and he's in my book, actually, is one of Jay's legends. And so the, the bottom line was a first-level employee came to the stage at his request in front of uh, about a, a quarter of the 7,500-person workforce and said, I may be in trouble by saying this with my boss and my peers and my union members, but I've learned a new way to work and I'm never going to work another way. That's uh, a great That's story. That's the excitement. That's the fun. There was a buzz in the place when I walked through that, or actually sometimes bicycled through 3,000 square feet or 3 million square feet. Wow. That, uh, that's a good one, Jay. Now, now, a couple things you mentioned in that. So you mentioned this leader who's a hero of yours, and you also mentioned a process. Um, could you talk for a second about, you know, the importance, the relative importance of leadership and having a good process to go through these things? 
I will, and it, I just wanted to point out that it's also, in addition to process, it's perspective. Mm. So going back to that conventional wisdom example that I gave earlier, conventional wisdom about change is it takes, to change a culture of an organization, it takes three to five years. That's been well written and uh, Cotter's literature from Harvard and other people have reinforced that this is just a time-consuming thing. How in the world could you do it in six months? And it goes back to the research again. If, if you're having trouble finding, uh, and by the way, after that example of transformation, I accompanied members of the leadership team into a conference in Washington, D.C. to present the results because it was so unheard of. So consider that that, that 3% might be 1% or a half a percent. Well, and then you go out and do research and you're not going to find it. So the fact that the that 90 some percent of the research shows that it takes three to five years, then conventional wisdom is it takes three to five years. So now back to the pro, but we got the senior management team to understand that they don't have three to five years, number one. And number two, based on our experience in my firm, it doesn't take that long. So we laid out with the senior management team what the goals and expectations were. And this, <laughs> this is really unique what happened in this organization. Jack Knuth asked his, after we'd had several meetings to sort out exactly what was needed, what the goals were, what was to happen. Jack asked his senior management team to go home and ask their significant others what percentage of their bonus they would put on achieving this goal. And so we, this happened at a dinner and, and actually when he asked them and before the dinner, he said, Jay, is it okay if I say grace? And I said, well, based on what you're going to ask them, you better say grace. <laughs> and so they came back the next morning in a 7.30 meeting and every single one of the senior management says, we'll put in 100% of our bonus. So they were committed. They went to their next level, got them committed. Yes, we facilitated that through a process, but I'm explaining the process on the way. And then we broke it into their direct reports. And then we got it down to over a period of about a month, we took groups of 200 of the 7,500 people, got them into a big auditorium, had a three hour session, broke them into groups of 10, 20 different groups that went out through the plant and then came back and gave some reports on what they'd done and what they were doing. All this was recorded and played back at all supervisory levels. And the people would leave those meetings on fire because it's the first time anybody had really given them consideration and time to express what they knew was possible on the front line. And that was the genesis of six months. Oh, it's a great, great story, Jay. You know, one of the things that's interesting about this is that, uh, you know, they were really empowering everybody, even frontline employees, which is, you know, an edgy thing to do, particularly in that time um, to, mm -hmm. to do that in, in that in industry. So uh, you talk a fair amount in your, in your book and in, in conversations about edginess. Um, so talk about how edginess fits in with transformation and having fun. Um, in, in this process? Well, 
I've found over the years that people who say they're not edgy or say they're not competitive or say they don't like to operate out in front of their skis is topically based. For instance, one of my, one of my favorite examples is having this discussion to someone who was a second violinist in, a, in, a, in an orchestra. And she said, I'm not edgy, I'm not competitive, I don't get out on the edge and things like that. And I said, well, what are your goals? And she said, well, I want to become first violinist. And I said, well, how do you get to be a first violinist? And she started immediately to pair it out and what she knew was required. She said, well, I've got to innovate. I've got to, I've, I've got to uh, uh, take advantage of situations. I've got to be, uh-oh, competitive. And I said, aha, <laughs> where did that come from? And she said, well, it's always been there. How do you think I got to be a second violinist in an orchestra that I'm rather better than being in my high school band? I worked really hard to do it better and to do it differently and yeah. not just take the rote way to do it. And so she, she understood that she had been out in front of her skis. And to me, that's the idea of edginess is is being on a preposis, being on a feeling like sometimes you're on a cliff or my conversation, my idea of being ahead of your skis. Well, personally, I lived my whole life ahead of my skis, except when I didn't. And that sounds like a funny statement, but I regret the times I didn't. And I certainly appreciate the times I did. And we're all that way. We do th as kids, you watch kids, they get on a two wheel bike. They're cautious, they're cautious, they're cautious. And then as parents, we try to save their lives. They go, they go from cautiousness to edginess rather quickly. That's interesting. So it sounds like you're seeing this, this is just part of human nature and it needs yes. to be released. Yes, it's, it's there. And uh, sometimes we hear people say, well, you know, I can't be creative and things like that. And we know from personality tests, there are different personalities and we know how that all works. And I don't want to get into that, but we also know that if you watch, if you watch a one-year-old or a two-year-old, they've got good things going for them that somehow get trained out of them. I see it with my students every day. And so one of our goals, you and you and me, Dan, is to bring that out of people and yeah. help them understand, thus igniting fun at work. Yeah, I, I like that, that, that Jay. Um, so I got a question for you from your book, Bucketheads. You talk about this idea that uh, employees will work harder for the customer than the boss. Could you talk a little bit about this? Well, it's... Uh, Bosses find that somehow incongruent and not acceptable. And having, having been a corporate officer of a New York company and had some responsibility, not only as a naval officer, but in corporate life, uh, I get why there would be some resistance to that comment. 
But let's look at let's look at customer situations. I think it's almost universal that we can look at the customer situation and say, customer service is not necessarily that good. I mean, just stop and think about it. When was the last time, uh, going back a year ago maybe, that you actually had somebody in a customer situation look you in the eye, let alone thank you. So when our nature is, when we get really good customer service, whether it's B2C or B2B, we're excited about it. We tell others. We thank them. Uh, and so if, if we're the provider of that service and we're getting thanks and accolades and appreciation, that's going to get us get going in the morning because we know if we provide the good stuff, we get the good stuff back. So consider how often you get that same feeling from your boss after you did an all-nighter in an acquisition or after you did something else. Uh, well, this, is more, this is different than just warm fuzzies. This is, this is sincere connection with great job. It was examples of why it was great. It was appreciation. You can tell when somebody's appreciating you sincerely and when they're just saying thanks. Uh, that's that's a so great insight. What's, what's going to get you up to go to work in the morning? So the, the what going back to that allied sig signal example, that entire executive team and the next level of VPs and next levels down, they created an atmosphere atmosphere where the whole 7,500 people almost, you know, it wasn't complete, but say 5,000 of the 7,500 people were really turned on. That's, it's excellent, Jay. It's interesting. You know, you talked about edginess um, being about a, our competitive nature, but it, there's also this human nature to connect and to please others, right? The kind of right. these dualistic. Right. It's very yeah. interesting. It's, um, it actually connects with other dimensions of transformation that we might even hit on, but it's more than just organizations. It's in our relationships. Yeah. It's in how we do things. It's what we do. How we, how we actually do things with things, our recreation. It's, we can be transformational animals and enjoy the fruit of it. But it's a choice. And oh. the purpose of this show is to, to give enough examples and enough hope that people can say, I'm not satisfied with this. I want to have some fun at work. And we're going to take a short break now, Dan. And when we come back, we'll continue this discussion. Thank you so much for uh, participating. Yeah, you're welcome, Jay. Look forward to more.
Are you ready to look at your business from a fresh perspective to gain competitive advantage and grow your revenue? Masters Alliance Business Consultancy brings you beyond demographics. Are you ready to look at your business from a fresh perspective to gain competitive advantage and grow your revenue? Masters Alliance Business Consultancy brings you beyond demographics, the character of the customer, an advanced approach to understanding and engaging your current and potential customers. Traditional demographic views no longer tell you all you need to know. Beyond Demographics engages your organization to gain unique, deep customer segmentation understanding. You get new perspectives of the motivations and needs of your customers. Masters Alliance is ready to help you identify distinct customer value with actionable customer priorities. We work with our team to reveal these hidden opportunities and develop demand creating value propositions. Now is the time to look at your market through a new lens and chart a new competitive direction. At Masters Alliance, you know that customers are more than meets the eye, and success depends on looking beyond demographics. Visit mastersalliance.com to learn more. You are tuned into Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow, hosted by Jay Allen. To reach out to the show with questions or comments, please send an email to info at mastersalliance.com. That's info at mastersalliance.com. Now back to Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow. Welcome back. I'm Jay Allen, host of the Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow. And for those of you that might just be tuning in, we're fortunate to have Dan Wallace as a guest interviewer. He's turning the tables on me today, and he's leading our discussions by interviewing me and inserting his own great comments. So today we're focusing on Transform Something and Ignite Fun at Work. Dan? Well, thank, thank you, Jay. Um, like to, you know, you told some great stories here about your philosophy and some of the uh, experiences you've had with customers. Um, we'd like to, you know, let the viewers or listeners uh, learn a little bit about you um, as well. Um, you know, you've had a very interesting career. You've worked in, in Madison Avenue and in, in New York. You worked as a naval officer, um, all kinds of of consulting work. Uh, you you worked uh, in, in the car industry, in Detroit. In Detroit. So you started out in the corporate world. How did you move from the corporate world to consulting? Kind of talk about your career arc and how that process worked. It was, uh, there were movements within my career that moved from industry to industry and also discipline to discipline, from strategy to merger and acquisition to other things. And so the way I got into the consulting business, I, well, first of all, I was really enjoying my corporate career. Uh, I enjoyed my Navy career. We did all kinds of transformational things. Uh, I, was on a, I was an officer on a destroyer escort, and which required a lot of transformational things in reaction times. In corporate, corporate world, I was also able and fortunate enough to do some of the same things. And I was always uh, going back to that Thomas Edison quote, observing a ways to do, th do things differently and make a difference. 
And one of my, and that caused me sometimes as a very young person to say, there are just some things that aren't working. And I remember uh, as a very young person, I was the youngest person behind glass doors in the General Motors building at one point. And I was walking down the hall to my office, which was across from uh, the senior execs. And he said, Alan, get in here. And I thought, boy, I've done it now. And he said, you know that group that you've been saying doesn't step up and doesn't get the job done and it's not on time? He said, well, that group's now yours. And you got, uh, you've got 90 days to make that a high-performing group and decide whether that 63 people should be 10 people or 163 people. He said, you've got it, it's your ball. And I want you back here on the 90th day reporting whether you achieved it according to the standards that you have or whether you didn't and we'll deal with what the implications of that are. And so I went into the team and I said, look, here's the situation. I got all 63 people and said, you know what's going on in the world. You could be outsourced. Do you want to be outsourced? I don't want you to be outsourced. So go home tonight and figure out what you're going to do and come back and tell me who's in and who's out to not get outsourced. Well, all but five people, I think it was, came back and said, we're in. And so I went back in early, about, I can't remember, maybe 60 days, whatever, and said, here they are, here we achieved it. So those kinds of things seemed to happen through my career. And I got to the point where I wanted to do more of that. I wanted to help other organizations and their leaders see more clearly how they could gather a group of people, give them the option, and then go after something. And one of the great things I think is important things that's missed in corporate life today is giving people the option. Doesn't mean that they have to leave the company, but if you want to transform something, give people the option, make the, the, make the case for why this not only is necessary, could be rewarding, could be productive, but be fun. And then find out who's on board. We have something called accelerated implementation process, which I won't go into now, but it gets things that normally take two years done in corporate life done in about 90 days. And it's all voluntary. And the execs get on a review team. They can't believe that people actually volunteer to do things over and above their job when everybody's too busy but it works because it's, they get a chance. So I wanted to do that with more companies and that's why I did it. It's, it's interesting, Jay. I mean, one thing I noticed there is that you framed that problem in that situation very starkly and directly. Um, and frequently in, in corporate life, people, they don't, it, it's, it's kind of like what's wrong with you rather mm-hmm. than, than the external problem. And then um, you involve them in the solution. Are those some of the primary ways that you work, you know, to just be very direct and blunt about, okay, here is the nub of the problem. Um, and, you know, 
I'm not going to be the one that comes up with the solution. We're going to be the ones that come up with the solution. How, what's your philosophy for, for that? Well, actually, there's an earlier step. And I even have used it in nonprofit situations where I've been on the board or been president. And rather than me coming up with the definition of the problem or the opportunity, I usually go to the group and say, here's my take on the situation. What do you think your take, what is your take on the situation? Mm. So have a discussion on what the situation is. And then I ask the question, well, what's, what's the opportunity or what's the problem? And we have that discussion. And then I say, well, what's the urgency to address it or lack of urgency? And then what happens if we don't address it? So the urgency thing is a, is a conversation all in itself where when you ask a group how soon they'd like to get this done, all the bells and whistles and red flags go off in the group that if we say too fast, we're in trouble, we're going to be held accountable. Ah. And so it's really tough to get out of people. So what the question I ask is, well, let's look out further. If what's your point of tolerance on it being or lack of tolerance on being too long? So let's just say we'll get it done in two years. Who thinks who can tolerate not getting it done for two years? Well, nobody. Well, how about 18 months? Well, no. Well, how about a year? Well, no. And so finally, I work it back to, well, what is your level of intolerance on how long it's going to take? And when you walk people back like that, it gets to the point of, oh, regardless of the risk, we're going to miss the opportunity. Then they go back and look at their own, their own words. We're going to miss the opportunity or we're going to bear the consequences of not acting. And the time frame has to be about this because this is what we know about it. The, I call it the realization of the window of opportunity, which is also in my book. That's, that's great, Jay. I mean, one thing that just seems interesting is skillful use of questions seems to be one of your primary tools and sequencing them in certain ways. Talk a little bit about that. How, how do you use inquiry? There is, I have to start with, with the idea of listening and noticing. I'm, as I mentioned earlier, I spend a lot of my life being out over the head of my, front of my skis. And so I sit in senior management meetings and these people are, there are so many of them that are smarter than I am, better educated than I am, are more experienced in their industry, are, uh, have all kinds of qualities. And I'm listening to this, the complexities. You know, I'm doing business in 20 different plus, 20 plus industries. I'm listening to the complexities. Not even if I'm in the same industry, industry where I've had 10 clients, things have changed and they're changing by the day. So the complexities are enormous. And so I'm sitting in these meetings thinking people are going to expect 
that I'm going to have some insight on this. That's what I'm getting paid for, to help them have, to stimulate them to have more insight. Not necessarily my insight, but I have, in order to ask good questions, I've got to have some semblance of insight to ask a good question. So I'm working really hard to connect the dots and make, make something good out of this in the way I ask the questions. So the good questions don't come from a pre-scripted idea that how I'm going to ask questions. The good questions come from me working diligently to become intimate with the situation, what's going on. Uh. And then my experience and my instincts and other things kick in and I'm able to ask the questions. And I, I'm surprised sometimes, like, well, where did that question come from? I had no idea I'd, I'd ask that one. Well, the circumstance, I didn't understand deeply enough to generate the question. My, no, that's uh, great, great, Jay. It just sounds like deep, deep curiosity is an important part of this. There's a tool that you shared with me. I mean, ultimately, people need to take a chance. They need to move out over the head, head of their skis, as you say, a little bit. And you shared with me a technique you use with people to help analyze risk of making a change or sticking with the status quo. Could you go over that? Yes. It's, the idea was to look at the downside and the upside. And I'll do it very quickly. Uh, so I, I asked people to make a list of what are all the, th- the downside things that could happen if you go ahead and do this and decide that you're going to transform, be part of transform, lead transform, or even oh my gosh, push having fun at work. And then look at what's the outside, the outcomes, the positive outcomes. So the idea here is if you you look at the, the downsides, let's put it this way, the downsides are always less than what we imagine in our emotions. Always. Whenever I do this, There's a short list of downsides. There's a long list of outcomes, positive outcomes. And then I say, well, which of those downsides could you really overcome? And that leads to a decision. And Dan, I'm afraid we're going to have to close up because we've moved to the end of our show. So thank you so much for helping. And... I hope that people have been able to see that getting to the future on time is possible and that their participation and transformation is possible and having fun at work is even possible because it is. This is not Pollyanna. It's fact-based. Audience, Thank you, Jay. Go for it. You're All welcome, right. Dan. Thank you for listening to Get to the Future on Time. Do differently tomorrow with Jay Allen. Next week, we will have more takeaways for your business success. So please join us next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk soon.